Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. We're just going to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to dig right into God's Word together. So if Amanda can come up. Amanda's going to just read for us uh, some, some of the first few verses for us, and then we're going to, we're going to pray and launch in. So if you want to just... Um, uh, listen as Amanda reads. First Corinthians ten one through fourteen. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, and that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. All right. Thanks, Amanda. I appreciate that. You remember those road trips you'd take as a kid with your family? How, got some good memories with those, right? Anytime during those road trips, Dad would say something along the lines of, we're turning around right now. I'm pulling over right now. We're going to get, everyone's going to get spanked in the car. Or, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you grew up with siblings, that was probably the case most road trips. And road trips have an amazing way of being this tremendous pressure cooker for families, right? So we just, our family took a road trip to Alabama to visit Michelle's mom and dad. And um, whatever is in your heart during that, you know, 12, 14, 16 hour road trip will eventually come out at some point, right? So we've got five kids and the TVs can only hold them at bay for so long. And pretty soon, someone's crying, someone's been um, attacked, someone's, been, uh, someone's got something snatched out of their hands, people have been uh, cheated and robbed from, and there's, this, there's all kinds of things happening in the car during a road trip. It, it comes out, it, it surfaces at some point. And as we begin 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he, he wa- Paul launches right into referencing one of the greatest road trips of all time, okay? And this is uh, the Old Testament equivalent of National Lampoon's vacation of Wally World, all right? And this is what the Israelites experienced. Now, to give you a little background on this, if, if you're going through this and he begins to reference these things, like, well, what happened in the Old Testament with, with Israel? The Israelites, the, the people of Israel, were held captive in, in Egypt, as slaves for over 400 years. And during that time, 
they had experienced, at the end of it, they had experienced a tremendous deliverance by God from slavery in Egypt. So God came and God miraculously, through plagues, through just, just manifestations of his glory and his power, delivered them from the hands of Egypt. Okay, so they were delivered from Egypt, from slavery. They left Egypt. They were slaves. They leave Egypt, plundering them as they go, with their full blessing, like, please get out. And they begin to walk. And so they, as they walk through, God begins to lead them with a pillar of, of a cloud during the day and, and fire by night. God's presence was with them in the, in the cloud and the fire. Now they get to the Red Sea as they're leaving, and as they get to the Red Sea, they've got no place, they've got nowhere to go. They're trapped in. They're, they can't get past the Red Sea. God miraculously opens the Red Sea, and they walk through the Red Sea on dry land. And so they walk through the dry land, and while they're in the wilderness, there's no food, there's no water, and there's all kinds of things that they're lacking. God miraculously provides for them every step of the way. He provides food when they need food. He provides water when they need water. He provides direction where they should go, how they should get there. provides manna for them when they need food. And then God gives them the law that they should know how to relate to God. God has done a miraculous thing of providing for them every step of the way. Now, when when we start off in these first few verses in chapter 10, we begin to read. He talks about all were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized in most, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same water. He begins to interpret these things as Christ Jesus himself providing for the Israelites. They experienced a tremendous deliverance and provision from God in, in, in almost in an unparalleled way. God brought them through all these things. And he says, that was a picture of Jesus Christ's presence in their midst, providing for them every step of the way. However, we get down to verse 5. God was not pleased and they were overthrown. See, there was over a million people who left Egypt. Over a million people left Egypt. And it says God was not pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. And yet, experiencing all of God's unbelievable supernatural blessings in their lives right i mean seeing things that man we would love to see these things if we could somehow have videotaped these things and watch them back that'd be amazing but he says in the midst of all of that only two of the adults in that passed into the promised land only two of the million, probably million-plus adults who experienced the tremendous deliverance, tremendous power, tremendous provision, care, grace, power, mercy of God, only two passed through into the promised land. Now, going back a little bit further into the Old Testament history. See, Abraham, who's the father of the Israelite nation, God came to Abraham, and God said, look, Abraham, here's the deal. I'm going to bless you in order that you would become a blessing to all people, to the whole world. This is Genesis chapter 12. It says, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you, care for you. I'm going to be your provision. And I want you, therefore, to turn and bless everyone around you. And I want the whole world to be blessed through the blessing which I'm going to bless you with. And so here we see with Israel being redeemed and saved, they were, they were blessed. But yet, 
they were found faithless. Now we get to the city of Corinth and the church in Corinth. What do we read about the church in Corinth as we look further on in the, in the book, in, in the beginning of the book? Corinth had this a tremendous amount of blessing from God in their midst. There was prophecy, there's tongues, there's spiritual gifts in operation. People had turned from idolatry to follow Jesus Christ. There's an unbelievable blessing of God in their midst. And now the Apostle Paul says, are you going to be faithful? Will you be found faithful? Because blessing and favor are not the same thing. And what's so amazing about this as well, as I, as I look through this, is he starts off and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers, and he goes on. This is a, this is a predominantly Gentile congregation. They were not ethnic Jews whatsoever. See, he's including them, including us, in redemptive history. See, he's not concerned necessarily with ethnic Israel as much as he's concerned with spiritual Israel. He says, look, our fathers, that when we, as we read the Old Testament, this is our story as well. Not just a Jewish history, this is our history. These are our fathers, us included, Jew and Gentile both. And in this, in these first few verses, we see that this, God is the provider. God provided through the wilderness every step of the way. Now, as we turn to the, these next verses in verses 6 through 13, he says this about the, that provision in the wilderness, about the way God provided. He says this, Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. That we might not desire evil as they did. Then he begins to list the things the Israelites had done in the wilderness. Verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Okay, so in verse 7 he says this, idolatry, they worshipped idols. In verse 8 he says, indulging in sexual immorality. So much so that 23,000 people died in a single day. Verse 9, putting Christ to the test. People were destroyed by serpents because of that. And last but not least, he writes this. Okay, so we've got idolatry, sexual morality, putting God, putting Christ to the test, and then grumbling. Grumbling. Complaining. It, it, it just seems out of place. As I'm reading something, really? I mean, of, of all the things that they had experienced and done in the world, we've got sexual morality, worship of idols, putting God to the test, and then complaining. Complaining. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal compared to worshiping, of, worshiping idols. You know, put complaining and idolatry in the same, kind of like the same thing. See, I want to just take a moment just to kind of look at this more in depth. Because I thought about complaining and grumbling. It is the exact opposite of worship. Complaining is the opposite of worship. See, Genesis chapter 12, like we said, we're, the people of God were blessed to be a blessing. The people of God were, were, were blessed by God, provided for by God, given life by God, so that they could be a people who would be a blessing to the, the rest of the world. It's a description of worship. That they would take what God had given to them and use it for his glory. 
saying, God, look, I know what you've given me. I'm going to take what you've given me, and I'm going to offer that back to you in the form of blessing other people. I'm going to bless. I'm going to use it to provide, to care for others, to meet their needs. It's worship to the Lord. When you open your home to an international student, it's, it's an act of worship to God. When you invite someone over for a meal, it's an act of worship to the Lord. When you give to somebody, it's an act of worship to the Lord. You're taking what He's given to you, whether it's a home or a meal or finances or your time, and you're offering it back to the Lord. It's an act of worship to Him. Now, what complaining does is it takes what God's given to us and then spits on it. It finds fault with it. It rejects it. It mocks it. It becomes discontent with it. And verse 11 repeats verse 6. I don't know if you caught that. Verse 11 repeats verse 6, but adds something to the end of it. It says, look, these things were given to us as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. On whom the end of the ages has come. This is, an un, this is he, he broadens this. He says, look, for us where we sit today, where the Corinthian church was sitting for them, there, with the coming of Jesus Christ, it inaugurates, it begins a new day. A new kingdom has come. Jesus Christ has brought to us the kingdom of God. The fullness of Jesus Christ. Says, Look, as Jesus Christ comes, he's made a way for us to be indwelt with his Holy Spirit, to be forgiven of our sins, to be called by a new name, to be brought into a new family, to be delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ has done this in his death and his resurrection. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. It changes us. It empowers us. It equips us. It, it helps us. Our desires change. The ability to follow God changes. Our relationship to God changes. This is all because Jesus Christ has made a way for us and whom the end of the age has come. This is where we, we live in the last days. Not just us right now, but as he's talking to the Corinthian church, the understanding, the biblical understanding of after Jesus Christ, his ascension, that began the last days. We are living in the last days as well as the Corinthian church. They were living in the last days, according to God's word. We are living in the last days, and therefore God has said, look, there is the, where the end of the age has come, we live in that time before his, his second return. But we also read this, that God is faithful. He provides a way of escape so we can endure. Genesis chapter 4 says this. In his way that God describes sin, he says sin is, to Cain, he says sin is crouching at your door. The, the propensity in our hearts to complain, to, to dismiss what God has done, but God yet has made a way for us. See, grumbling and complaining has an effect on us but it has this unbelievable effect on everyone else around us. And I was struck by this because as Michelle came back from, from India a couple weeks ago, we'll be talking, and I'd, I'd be complaining about something, and she would say, hey, you're complaining. Like, what, like, why are you on me, man? Like, everyone complains. I mean, it's just part of what we do, right? But she would say, like, hey, I'm still in, I'm still in a bit of, like, missionary mindset here. And it was, it was helpful for me because as 
as she began to say that to me, I began to realize how often I complain about stuff. And it wouldn't even, even hit me that, man, I, I'm complaining right now, and it, it, it's just over and over and over again. Now, on a missions trip, it's also one of those pressure cookers. So being on a number of missions trips with high school students, there's just this unbelievable, we'd call on this trip, we'd say, don't state the obvious, Okay. Because what inevitably would happen is someone would wake up in the morning and we'd all get together as a team to pray and someone would say, it's hot outside. Like, it's 95 out. We know that. Pretty soon everyone's like, yeah, it is hot outside. Man, I'm sweaty. I'm sweaty too and I'm thirsty. and I'm thirsty too. And, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And it, it's a perfect illustration of how it affects everyone else around you. No one is really sitting there thinking about how miserable they are until you said something. Everyone's like, yeah, you're right. I'm miserable too. I hate this place. Why are we here? You know, it goes on and on and on. But when we complain, now catch this, when we complain, it is a, it, it's a form of idolatry. Now follow me with this, okay? This is what I mean. Last night I went to a, a Highland girls basketball game. They played Valparaiso where uh, my cousin's daughter plays for Valparaiso. So we went and happened to sit behind uh, the super fan, okay? And the super fan was someone who contests every single call by the refs. I mean, the ref is, is, the, is, is an idiot. The super fan is not. They, they see everything so clearly. They're, every missed rebound is an opportunity to yell at your daughter. Uh, Every bad play is, is, is ridiculous. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And the thing is, what, what's a little bit weird about it is that there wasn't that many people at the game. So it's not like you're at home watching TV and you're yelling at the ref on the TV. It's you're at the game, and it's a live game, obviously, and there's, there's not many people there. And so everything you say can be heard by everybody in the whole place. So it's not like you're just kind of there stewing over your you know discontentment with the, the refereeing. It's that... Everybody knows you're discontent about the referee because everyone can clearly hear what you're saying. You're just kind of like, oh, man, I can't believe I sit behind Superfan, you know? And so the Superfan, in their world, in the Superfan's world, they know best, right? They call the game different. They coach different. They play different. They'd run, they'd run different. I mean, the whole thing, they do everything differently, and they want you to know that they're, they're smarter, better, more able to, you know, they won't miss any calls. They'll, they'll do everything. Because in that person's world, they're, they're chief. They know best. Now, that's a silly illustration. But here's the deal. So often in our worlds, we know best. We're the center of everything, right? If it was our way, it would be different. Whether we're at work or home, or driving, right? It's my way. I know best. I would do things differently. And when it doesn't happen my way, I'm upset and let everyone know about it. Because we're the center of our world. And that is idolatry. That's idolatry. As we begin to think about the way we'd operate the world, we know best. This is the way I would do it. Why? Because clearly, I know the best way. We put ourselves at the center of everything. And so in verse 14, 
we read this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. See, he can say this because Jesus Christ has freed us from the bondage of our own sin, of our own kingdom, of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus Christ has set us free from that and brought us into his kingdom. He's given us the Holy Spirit that gives us the power and desire to follow the Lord. That we can worship him without complaining. We can worship him in freedom and in joy and in truth because all what Jesus Christ has done. And so for us this morning, and he goes on in the rest of the, the, the chapter, I don't have time to go through it, but he, he makes this distinction between idolatry in the temples of, of Corinth and the superiority of Jesus Christ. He says the two have nothing in common. And I want to just encourage us today. Israel was, was blessed beyond imagination. I mean, they were completely cared for and provided for, and they were blessed. But yet they were found faithless. The Corinthian church, they were completely they were blessed. The spiritual gifts in operation, the church was growing. Man, they, were, they, they had seen some radical salvations, tremendous things experienced. We don't know whether they were found faithful or faithless. I think in 2 Corinthians we can, they were found faithful. But what about us here in America? We have unbelievable material blessings. Even, the, even you know, I was talking with Michelle about coming back from India. Even, even the, the, the poorest of the poor here have just an un, so much more than the, the poor of India. We have unbelievable material blessings. We have incredible freedom to worship. We can, we can show up here on a Sunday morning without any fear of the authorities breaking in, taking us to prison, shooting us, locking us up. We have no fear of that whatsoever. We have the freedom to, to tell other people about Jesus Christ. We have the freedom to write on Facebook every day scripture verses or whatever we want to do in that regards, we have the complete and absolute freedom to do so. Not only that, but we've got the freedom to minister to people all over the world. It's unbelievable to think that right now we can be sitting here in Munster, Indiana, and by tomorrow morning we can be, we can be in India in a village where people have never heard the gospel before, all within 24 hours. What an unbelievable privilege that we have. The question is, will we be found faithful? We've been given so much, just like the Israelites, just like the Corinthian church. Will we be found faithful? Now, thank goodness for Jesus Christ. Where we have been unfaithful, he has been faithful. Where we have, where our soul has not clinged to the Lord, his right hand still upholds us. Our faith and our trust is in Jesus Christ. My question for us this morning, will our complaining dislodge us from the opportunity to worship? Will our complaining remove us, take us out of the opportunity that God's given us to worship in every situation, in every circumstance? That's my question for us today. And I would just encourage us as we think through our days, our time, are we complaining? Are we turning, turning away from the Lord? Are we taking the good things that God has provided for us so abundantly? Turning in an opportunity to worship? Turning in an opportunity to turn our backs on the Lord? 
Forget about it. I'm going to close with prayer to ask the Lord to help us as we go through these things. We consider the opportunity, the, the tremendous blessings God's given us. So Lord Jesus, thank you this morning that you have been faithful when we have been faithless. Thank you, Jesus, that you have provided a way for us to receive forgiveness and mercy and grace. And Lord, the areas of our lives where we have complained, we've, we've refused to worship God, I pray that you would forgive us. Give us the strength and the grace to worship you in every situation, every circumstance. God, let us take the good things that you've given to us and provided for us and offer them back to you whatever way possible, whatever you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.